With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact. Helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Hey, it's Lily Jamali. Marketplace Tech has a new limited series out on YouTube called Decoding Democracy. With rapid advancements in new technology like AI, disinformation efforts are more convincing and more misleading than ever. So we'll be discussing how to spot things like deep fakes, how to protect yourself from disinformation, and how to talk to your friends and family about it. As always, this fact-based journalism and vital information will be free and accessible to all. As a public service newsroom, donations from you help us take on ambitious reporting projects like this one. Every single gift makes a difference. Go to marketplace.org slash give tech. Is X about to get even more political? From American Public Media, this is Marketplace Tech. I'm Lily Jamali. Then-Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey banned them in 2019. Now, Elon Musk is officially bringing back political ads from candidates and parties to what is now X, expanding the company's recent push into cause-based ads. The move could help boost revenue. Some big brands have been less than eager to buy ads on the platform since Musk took over. X didn't respond to our request for comment by the time of taping, but has said it plans to expand its safety and elections team ahead of the 2024 election. This, of course, after layoffs. For analysis, we asked Jonathan Lemire, host of Way Too Early on MSNBC and White House bureau chief at Politico, and Katie Harbath, a fellow at the Bipartisan Policy Center, who says the platform was never a place where candidates spent a lot of money, but that could change. We might see this as a way that candidates use to try to get some messages out, to try to boost that, um, that could potentially lead to problematic activity. I I don't know if it'll reach that potential. It's too early to tell, um, but it's something definitely to keep an eye on. Jonathan, is this about Elon Musk trying to revive that lost ad revenue, or is this more about politics and Musk's particular brand of politics? I think the answer is both. You know, we should note Jack Dorsey would say before he instituted the ban on political ads back in 2019, he said political ads were a pretty small source of revenue, only eight or nine million dollars or so. So that's not going to potentially make a huge difference. But in Musk's case, probably every little bit counts. But I also think it's Musk trying to really be more of a central political character himself. Let's remember, it was Musk who hosted Ron DeSantis's campaign launch in a Twitter spaces. He also, of course, reinstated Donald Trump to Twitter. But Musk has said he he wants Twitter to be or X to be the town square. And that includes, in his mind, political dialogue. So I think it's about being the center of attention uh, as much as it is trying to make a little money. And Katie, how do you think this change, of course, will affect other platforms, Meta being the big one, because they had been sort of on this track to you know, potentially ban all political advertising last year until some of the moves that Musk made. 
I saw that. And I think that I wouldn't be surprised if we see more platforms get pressured to also allow political advertising as campaigns, political parties, PACs. They want to reach where people are. And I wouldn't be surprised if this becomes more of a source of tension as we get closer and closer to uh, 2024 and the primary dates starting. Yeah. And I remember, I think it was Jack Dorsey who said, you know, the idea behind banning political ads was this notion that you're supposed to earn reach. You're not supposed to be able to buy it, right? Yeah, but the thing that he didn't say was that all of these platforms decide for themselves and the algorithms what they're going to boost and not boost and what signals they use from people of what that means or doesn't mean. And we've already seen platforms like Meta have already said they're deprioritizing news and politics um, as part of this because of the the controversy, the headache and everything that it, that it causes with that. So I think in an ideal world, yes, that's the world we'd all love to live in, that that the best ideas, the cream rises to the top or whatever that that's saying is. But the truth of the matter is, is that there's a lot of people that spend their lives trying to figure out these algorithms in order to get reach for their content. And not everybody has that sort of time and access. And being able to pay to get your message out in front of people, that also helps candidates and groups and others who wouldn't normally get attention for their messages to get that out there. This works on a positive angle too. And I worry sometimes that some of these decisions were throwing the baby out with the bathwater um, in trying to just frankly avoid political controversy and being tired of being stuck in the middle of a lot of different things that different people wanted these platforms to do on politics. Jonathan, what's been your sense of this campaign cycle so far? You are a Twitter super user, we should mention. Are you noticing a difference in what you're seeing so far in this cycle compared to the last one? So far, the only difference I'm seeing is the constant promotion of a John Tester fundraising ad in my Twitter feed. He's <laughs> it, 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 Every time I log on, the senator is looking for some more money. Uh, no, the short answer is no, not yet, but that certainly could change. Uh, I think that it, you know, we are seeing some campaigns starting to put some ads up, mostly to raise money. We're still in the early stages of, of, this, uh, of this campaign. It's going to heat up uh, soon. I do think there is some anxiety about this. We all remember what happened in 2016. Remember the impact the social media uh, had on that race and how it was vulnerable to misinformation and disinformation campaigns, some from from overseas. And we remember Cambridge Analytica. We remember what the Russians did, of course. We'll see soon enough how Donald Trump will choose to use this as well. He is truly Twitter's super user. He is the one who used it as a way to connect uh, directly to voters. And it made an absolute difference in both his two presidential campaigns, but also how he, frankly, governed as president. True Social has nowhere near the reach, his fledgling social media site. Uh, so we will need to see whether he does fully jump back on, whether other candidates do the same. The Biden team has, frankly, got a little better at it. Uh, they use it to break through sometimes, which is hard for this at times for this White House to do so in such a crowded news cycle. But I think we're still very much in wait and see mode as to what role Twitter ads will play uh, in the 2024 campaign. Bottom line, what is your read on how allowing political ads back on the platform could affect this election cycle? So far, in the cycle's early days, it hasn't mattered much outside of giving candidates another place to, to raise some money. But it raises fears of disinformation and misinformation you know, being that much more prevalent on the site. We don't know yet what Elon Musk is going to do in terms of fact-checking. He laid off so many of those workers. But I think it is anytime there's direct political involvement and advertisement on a social media site, particularly Twitter, there's going to be anxiety as to how it was used and whether or not it will be misused. 
I agree with John. I think it has a bigger symbolic impact right now than it does actual impact in that you have a spectrum of where these platforms are deciding to go when it comes to politics. Some are going all in. Some are trying to have it both ways, a bit like Meta is. Some are trying to avoid it completely. And I think we're starting to see where those are starting to to edge out. And then it'll be interesting to see what that looks like vis-a-vis left versus right. Because I do think Twitter is still very much impacting um, the conservative media landscape and will continue to do so and be continue to be a place where that continues to shape and grow and expand. And I'll be curious to see how potentially political ads maybe play a role in that. And worth noting, we are not the only nation having an election next year. Um, Any thoughts on how this policy change will play out in other nations? I think a lot of people don't realize that 2024 is the biggest year of elections the world has ever seen. In addition to a U.S. presidential election, you're having elections in India, Indonesia, Ukraine, Taiwan, Mexico, likely the United Kingdom, the European Parliament. Um, And overall, I'm tracking about 65 national level elections across 54 countries next year. And there could be more with snap elections and all that. But that group of large countries that I mentioned have never gone to the polls in the same year. And so we're going to be having primaries while people like Narendra Modi go to the polls, while Jokowi in Indonesia go to the polls. And so I think that we need to remember that Twitter does still play a big role in those elections as well. And we may very well see a lot of those candidates using, continuing to use the platform to to push their messages out, et cetera. And it could also be somewhat of an area for us to be watching of what's happening overseas of what we might also see in the United States. That's really fascinating. I didn't realize it was 65 countries. That is unbelievable. And, you know, really politically sensitive countries in a lot of cases. Um, One thing I haven't asked you about yet is the, this is kind of related, the ADL has documented a rise in hate speech on X since Musk took over last year. This is the Anti-Defamation League, which, you know, their whole job as a civil rights group is to uh, campaign against anti-Semitism and extremism. So Musk is now claiming that the ADL is trying to kill the platform. I would love your thoughts if you have any to share. Yeah, I mean, I th- was over the weekend, Musk posted about this threatening lawsuits against the ADL, uh, suggesting, you know, and not presenting much in the way of evidence uh, that the ADL was out to destroy his business. Um, what's undeniable, though, and ADL and other groups, we should be very clear, lots of organizations have tracked this. Uh, first of all, the rise in, in hateful rhetoric, uh, in, in biased incidents, both on and offline in the last few years since Donald Trump became a presidential candidate in 2016. Uh, that is sort of where that is the trend was already going in that direction. Uh, and it has only accelerated that much further uh, on Twitter, now X, since Musk bought it, where it does feel like connecting to our previous conversation, it is becoming a space for the right, in many cases, the extreme right and the hateful uh, right, as more and more lefties. Uh, liberals who do not want to pay $8 for a blue check mark and or just want to get off of Twitter altogether have done so and seeded that space. And others have become more emboldened to voice their views because they have now been reinstated. Uh, there have been a number of people uh, who have been you know, clearly engaged in anti-Semitic or hateful or racist remarks who were banned from Twitter, who Musk has now uh, restored in the name of so-called free speech. Uh, so, I, I, you know, whether this actually goes to court or not, many experts sort of doubt. They don't think Musk will follow through uh, with this. Um, but certainly it's it's a potentially an intimidation tactic, if nothing else. Katie, do you want to weigh in? Yeah, I think I would just add that this is one of those things I would 
I think it's important to put in the context of what is sort of happening overall in terms of questions into organizations that fight Mr. Disinfo or do this type of research into hate speech and what this happens online, um, where you have whether it is House Republicans doing investigations, you have judges in Louisiana who are putting injunctions in terms of how government can engage with social media. You have Elon Musk. This is the second suit that I think he's threatened to bring against an organization who is who is doing this. And so to what John said, even if he doesn't follow through, there's an intimidation factor here where others may be reluctant to call Musk out on the things that he is doing for fear that it could lead to legal litigation that they may not have the funds and stuff or political, you know, they may not have the risk tolerance um, of wanting to do. And it's something that I am concerned about, not just going into next year, but what that looks like going into the future beyond 2024. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could certainly have a chilling effect. Finally, um, I wonder if we can just step back for a moment and reflect on this last year since Elon Musk took over at Twitter. Um, How does Twitter feel different? Has there been one thing that has been most worrisome to you about his takeover? I think it is, it's just far less reliable. Not just, frankly, the mechanics of it don't work quite as well as it used to. It seems much more glitchy uh, than it had previously because Musk has fired so many of the engineers. But it's, it's so difficult to know what's real and what's not real. It is where news traveled first of reports of an active shooter, whatever it might be. And now, uh, especially with the, his changes to the verification status, it's anyone can have a blue check mark if they pay dollars a month and it's so easy to spoof an account. It is deeply unreliable. And, and I persistently worry uh, that, that that something terrible will happen someday. We already had that one moment where there was a viral tweet from an impersonated Bloomberg account about an attack on the Pentagon a few months ago that briefly changed that rocked the markets briefly like that. That could just be the tip of the iceberg as to what's coming because it's so hard to know what's real on Twitter or what's not. And I think that is 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 chief concern as well as of course the rise in this hateful rhetoric, the the intimidation uh, that so many people feel, female journalists and the like. Uh, it's so much easier to 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 engage in hate speech to to be a bully uh, on X uh, since Musk took. Uh, those protections uh, away. I think for me, um, it it's just not as useful of what's I, I'm getting a lot of AI ads. Here's how you do prompts. Here's how you kind of do that kind of that kind of stuff on it. Um, every once in a while, it, it does. It's still worthwhile to kind of scroll through and, and see what is happening, etc. But um, I think this is part of what's going to be the real test for Musk is do people find it? Do those journalists, those influencers, others that were using it, do they find it useful as we continue to go into um, not just for an election cycle, but the crisis moments, everything like that, or do people move to other places? And this also could be very much generational because a lot of people under 30 are turning to places like TikTok to get that sort of news and information. They're not necessarily getting it from Twitter. And so it'll be interesting to watch how journalists and others adapt and where they start to find where they, the best places are for them to break news or not. And if Musk can't make that be Twitter, that's going to pose a real challenge for him in terms of what the future of that platform could be. That was Jonathan Lemire of Politico and MSNBC and Katie Harbath at the Bipartisan Policy Center. While it's now official, X has reportedly allowed political ads in the U.S. since the start of the year. 
There's a great thread on this by Andrew Arench, who breaks down the data on political ad revenue the platform has received since February. We'll link to it on our website, marketplacetech.org. And you heard Jonathan Lemire talk briefly about how Twitter has made it really difficult to know what's real on the platform. We touched on this here on our show back in May. An expert explained the idea of epistemic apocalypse. That's a total breakdown of our ability to perceive truth and reality. An important listen in an age when fake media generated by AI makes it to our social media feeds. You can see all of that on our website. Jesus Alvarado produced this episode. I'm Lily Jamali, and that's Marketplace Tech. This is APM. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.